Hello and welcome to Fertility Springboard, the podcast series brought to you by Fertility Help Hub. I'm Eloise, founder of Fertility Help Hub, and over the series I will be bringing you conversations with some of the most influential and inspiring professionals and experts around the world to arm you with useful and empowering thoughts and resources to ease your fertility journey. And don't forget to sign up to the newsletter to make sure you don't miss out on anything. It's packed full of inspiring interviews, resources, discounts and offers, competitions and real life stories. Today I am extremely pleased to be welcoming my guest, CEO of the Mariposa Trust, Zoe Clark Coates. She's also an author and a grief expert and specialises in baby loss and pregnancy after loss. Welcome Zoe. Thank you for inviting me on. Of course. Well, it's lovely to speak to you. And I know that you've got, we've got a lot to talk about um, and so much that our readers will want to know more about and will want support with around loss and grief. Um, so first of all, I just wonder whether you could give a little, a little more of an intro about your personal story, um, what you've been through, uh, the fear of your biological clock ticking, which um, I've read from your personal story, and the loss and bereavement mm-hmm. that you, you've had to face. To go back a bit in our story, I had trained as a counsellor many years ago and then went into the corporate world. I trained as a counsellor because my mum's a therapist and so I was always around that language and terminology and so it felt a really natural thing for me to train up in um, because it was a general interest and it was always being discussed around the family dinner table. So I trained in it but didn't intend to use any of that training really professionally. Um, Went into the corporate world as I said, um, was very successful in business. Me and my husband had um, been married for some time and and then we decided to try for children. And it was always something that I just presumed would happen because I think when you're in school, you're very much taught how to be careful to not get pregnant until the time you want to have children. And all of the language around that just makes you think, think that it's just a decision and when you decide to have children it would just happen yeah we'd waited until um we were really financially stable and um were running our global company and then decided now would be a good time to have children and um we're really blessed to be able to conceive quite quickly now, how old was I? That would take me doing some maths, and I can't <laughs> even think. We were just over 30. Okay, and, okay. Um, yeah, and, but even at the age, I mean, it wasn't a decision really, oh, we're getting older, and so we need to. It was just, it just felt like the right time. Yeah. And um, so we, we tried to have a child, managed to get pregnant which was so amazing but then tragically lost that baby through a miscarriage and we handled that first loss very differently to subsequent losses because I was determined that we weren't going to be one of the statistics and uh, that one in four people who go through loss and I I just couldn't handle that emotion because one of the reasons we'd also waited to have children was I journeyed um, with a friend through their losses as a couple and they'd had two stillbirths and 
um, miscarriages as well. And I'd been the friend who had journeyed that with them. And I just didn't know if I could handle loss myself. So we definitely put off having children as well because of that. And um, then there we were, we were one of those statistics. And um, we didn't really talk about it extensively. We decided to just carry on and quickly try for another baby, which we did. And we were blessed to get pregnant again. And and this pregnancy did feel different. And um, we didn't think at all it would end in loss. Um, we'd been, we went for scans, everything was great. And um, then on one weekend, I started to bleed and we, we really feared the worst. And I managed to get an emergency scan and that showed our daughter Darcy was fine. Everything was great. And, um, and that put our fears to rest a bit. But then within days, the bleeding intensified. And I just really had a sense that she'd died. We were, we'd ended up going to A&E and were greeted with really poor care and made to feel almost stupid for crying and grieving over the potential loss of our daughter and they just told us that everything appeared fine and to just go away and rest and they wouldn't be able to give us another scan for a week to just tell us whether she was okay or not um obviously we weren't going to be able to sit and wait for that week so we tried to find a private clinic within 48 hours I was at this private clinic who were going to give us just a reassurance scan to show us that everything was okay. But I couldn't shake this overwhelming feeling that she had died. And tragically that scan did show us there she was on the screen on the scan, but her heart wasn't beating anymore. And, um, and she had passed away and, um, nothing could have prepared us for that moment. And I decided yeah, I decided to do to her naturally. And um, so we had to wait for a week for natural labor to start. And, um, and then I delivered her. And it was really harrowing. We were not given great medical support through it all. The recovery from that took some time. But when we felt ready to try again, we did. And... Um, Sadly, we then lost our third baby um, through another miscarriage. And um, after that, I didn't know if we could try again. We then lost our dog. (laughs) Um, And that really was the nail in the coffin, so to speak. And I said, there's just no way I can go through more loss. And decided the fact that we would stop trying and, and just go through life without having children and it was after that I found out I was pregnant and had been pregnant when we'd lost our dog and um which was a huge shock and a huge blessing and relief it felt like the decision had been taken out of our hands because I was already pregnant without knowing about it and um that pregnancy went um amazingly and we got to bring our little girl home and um yeah so that is our daughter who is now 11 who's called Esme Amelia Promise oh gorgeous and yeah and she was a shining light of hope 
that pregnancy must have been just as horrific because I mean I haven't experienced loss personally but from what I've heard how can you relax always wondering whether it's going to happen again and, and no doubt feeling how am I going to cope with this again if it does absolutely absolutely you're constantly waiting for that trap door to open and for you to fall into that abyss of grief and loss yet again and you don't go for a scan feeling hopeful and joy-filled you go to every scan feeling scared and nervous and terrified of receiving bad news and um it definitely robs you of all innocence of pregnancy where you see people who just presume and believe the fact that they're going to bring home a baby from the hospital but you don't have that even on the day because I knew I was having a c-section and even on the day of going off to the hospital I remember saying to Andy as we were putting the car seat into the car what if we don't get to bring a baby home and he said then we'll cope we'll survive this and um, so even in those moments that could be filled with joy and hope you're constantly trying to prepare yourself emotionally for not having a happy ending so it's a horrible situation but we were just so blessed to get to bring Esme home and for her to be healthy and to be well and um, we'd actually only planned to have one child but we quickly decided the fact that we did want more children and um, we wanted to have a sibling and um so when she was around two years of age, we decided to try again. And naively, we thought our dealings with loss was almost behind us because we'd brought Esme home and we thought that, that whatever had been wrong had obviously been fixed internally yeah. and now everything would be okay. Um, we got pregnant. We um, were going for all of our scans. Everything was brilliant. We were watching our little boy, Samuel, grow on the screen and and then on one afternoon we went with um, Esme for a scan and we were told that his heart had just stopped beating. Oh I'm so sorry. And so yet again that trap door opened and and we fell and um, it was a different grief it was every grief is very different and I think is exactly the same and this time we were also grieving for um, Esme's sibling we were grieving for her the fact that she might never have a sibling and that she'd lost her brother so it was horrible it was horrific and um, once we'd healed as much as we could emotionally we decided to try again and um, the pregnancy was going okay and we decided to tell the whole family on Christmas Eve that we were expecting and everyone was thrilled but within half an hour of telling everyone I went upstairs went to the bathroom and had started bleeding oh, I, can't and, believe uh, it. I know and we were had we were quickly told that we definitely miscarried again and um I said to Andy the only thing we can do is give Esme a Christmas that she remembers and so we've tried to put as much of our grieving on hold as possible to make sure she had a, a nice Christmas but it was really hard and and horrendous and but after new year i started to get sicker and sicker and so decided that i needed to go and see a consultant to find out what was wrong with me and we were quickly told that they'd been wrong and i hadn't miscarried at all wow. and i was in fact still pregnant 
and um and then we were told we were having twins so oh we went from being told that we definitely lost our baby to suddenly having two babies and um which felt like an utter miracle and um was amazing but i got carried on getting sicker and sicker and eventually that led to me being admitted into hospital with them suspecting something had gone wrong with my liver and my gallbladder and it resulted in me needing to have surgery sadly prior to that surgery i lost one of the twins um our daughter isabella um but one of our children hung on in there and um i ended up having two surgeries within seven days and um which was challenging and it, it was the only way to save the baby's life and my life and um that whole pregnancy was scary and terrifying and um knowing the fact that my life was in the balance as well as our baby's life was in the balance was so utterly mm. terrifying and um we got to very close to the end of the pregnancy approaching my c-section and then i developed another condition obstetric cholestasis and um that resulted in my c-section just being brought forward slightly right and um and then she was born safely and well and so that is our journey to having our two little girls who are now not so little because bronte is now eight. Oh um, wow yeah, our journey to having our children and what a journey that's been gosh yeah, absolutely um, Two things I wanted to ask you about what you've just said. Um, the first thing is, for the miscarriages and the loss that you've experienced, you, you mentioned um, their names and knowing whether they were boys or girls. Is that something that you had found out beforehand or is that something you wanted to know having lost them? Yeah, I think we always, you know, I think a lot of parents always have an innate knowledge of the gender of their child. And, um, and for us, naming all of our children was, I guess that's coming from a background of being trained as a counsellor in the fact yeah. that it's so much better for you while grieving if you can name every child you have lost. And I think every person deserves a name or whatever gestation they were lost. And so for us, it really helped to give every one of our children names mm -hmm. and they're as much of our family as as the children that are with us and yeah, their lives have made just as much of an impact one of the things with then when we obviously went on to set up the charity which I know we'll go on to but one of the things that we felt was really important was to not actually talk about the gestation of our mm. losses and that's been very deliberate and I talk about that in my first book and it's because when we were looking at setting up the organization and the charity mm. so many parents were saying to us that the world almost um, ranks grief and ranks the people's permission to grieve and sadly so much of that goes on to gestation that if your baby or child died at a, a later gestation that almost gives people um, a bigger reason to grieve more um, 
permission to grieve and we completely disagree with that and feel the fact that everybody has the right to grieve at whatever gestation their losses were so we made a deliberate decision to never talk about um, the gestation of our losses because it's irrelevant it doesn't matter whether they were late losses or earlier losses it's totally irrelevant every one of our babies equally matters just like everybody else's children who they've lost matter and so that's kind of part of our work and our campaigning is the fact that everyone has the right to grieve and it doesn't matter at what stage you've lost your child it's still your baby absolutely i actually um did an article with a very inspiring lady recently who um had to go through termination for medical reasons and yeah. her point was highlighting that it's an unspoken type of baby loss and it's you know to have such a heavy load on your shoulders and to go through that but for people not to really know much about it and or not to see it as traditional in inverted commas loss makes it obviously incredibly difficult absolutely and we support so many people in that position and our charity supports over 50,000 people each week i mean there's a huge amount of people who are grieving and heartbroken and a lot of those losses aren't typical losses their um, loss varies so much from miscarriage to ectopic pregnancy to molar pregnancy mm. huge yeah. termination because of fetal anomaly and um, cot death and neonatal loss and stillbirth and there's yeah. so many different types of loss that you're not even aware of until you yeah. enter this world um, and you know I don't know if it's something that everyone should be aware of because obviously we're aware of the things that most affect us personally. But once you've entered the world, you're suddenly um, aware of how many different types of loss there are and how little they're actually spoken of, which just accentuates people's loneliness when experiencing them. Absolutely. And I'm sure, well, you, you're the expert, you would know, but lots of people feel, what did I do wrong? Was it my fault? Which, of course, isn't the case. Um, and that's probably why you would suggest people seeking help to help people through that roller coaster and the emotions that come with it. Absolutely. And, and this feeling of, did I do something, is completely natural. And it's not just there with baby loss, it's often there with other types of loss as well, where mm. people think, is this something I could have done? And it's just our way of our brain trying to hold on to some sort of control. The one thing that happens to you when you go through loss and grief is you feel out of control, your world feels spinning in every direction. And when you can almost feel responsible or hold on to responsibility, it makes you feel somewhat in control, but also makes you think that you can prevent it in the future. If I'm to blame for this loss, then surely I can prevent this happening again if I get pregnant again. So it's just our brain's way of trying to hold on to things, trying to keep in control. But actually, very few people are ever responsible for their loss. I, I couldn't ever say never because obviously things like drug misuse and there's various different things that can actually result in someone being responsible for a loss. But that's very rare. For the majority of loss, there is absolutely nothing anybody could do to change what's happened. Um, but it's a natural part of the grieving process to question that mm -hmm. and to feel responsible, especially as mothers 
because whether you've got a baby alive in your arms or not, if you've carried a child, you're a mother. And part of that, I think, comes with carrying guilt that you're absolutely not responsible for at all. And also to know that so many other people have share that feeling too. You're not the only one to be feeling like that. Absolutely. And talking and getting support and getting help um, is a great way of processing that and releasing that burden and weight, which it is. It's a real weight on your shoulders when you're thinking, is there anything I could have done if I hadn't gone to work, if I hadn't got stressed, if I hadn't picked up that heavy shopping? Mm. All of these things people start to question. But actually, none of them have any part in the loss at all but it's completely natural to question it and to worry about it and that's where getting the right support can really help you process that i just wanted to ask you at this point um uh, because i've read in your story some of the things that people may have said or may not have said what were the sort of the least sensitive things you heard? Because in, in this trying to conceive community, especially, um, people talk about insensitive comments and people saying things like, at least you know you can get pregnant. Um, what, would be, what would be your suggestions for um, kind of putting those thoughts and those comments to the side and, and how to respond to that kind of thing? Yeah, well, in my second book, The Baby Loss Guide, I've actually got a whole chapter on this because there is so many things that are said to people who have gone through baby loss and child loss, um, just like is said to people who are suffering with fertility issues or going through any sort of fertility help. There's thousands of things that are said that are really bad. And I don't think it's possible to prepare yourself for hearing them because when you're grieving and when you're hurting any insensitive comments like a a knife to a wound so I don't think you can prepare for them but I think knowing the fact that they're said to the majority of people in Mm -hmm. itself can help that it's not something that's aimed at you personally this is something that is said often to so many people and I and what I try to remind people when I'm walking with people through loss is the fact that the majority of these things that are said are not usually said from, uh, from a bad place, from a place of trying to cause harm. They're usually said by people who really do want to help, who do want to offer support. But because in the UK especially, we're really bad with grief, we're really bad with loss, we don't know what to say, and we often are afraid of saying the wrong thing. And that in itself makes people say the wrong thing because mm. they enter conversations feeling very anxious and very nervous. And, and they that panic, people, don't they? Yeah, they panic and they say the worst things possible. And also part of the British culture is to always try and find a positive to try and say things such as at least you can try again um, there at least your baby's in a better place now and they don't realize what that means to a bereaved parent so 
the grieving person just wants to scream, yeah, I might be able to try again, but I want the baby I just lost. And, and when somebody says, well, my, your baby's in a better place now, what the bereaved person is hearing, so my home isn't good enough, heaven's yeah. a better place for my baby, but your child's okay with you. And people don't ever think, of the other side of what's actually being heard they just are trying to grasp at straws and to try and find the silver lining which mm. is such a british way of dealing with things where other cultures uh, are much better at allowing people to sit with their pain and to acknowledge that pain and to say yeah it's awful right now and i can't even imagine what you're going through um but yeah, we're not great at that here in the UK. We just want to put a sticking plaster on and to say, come on, let's just get on with it and let's yeah. just find a way forward, which actually is extremely unhelpful. And the best thing we can do is to acknowledge the pain, acknowledge that the person is hurting and to allow them to sit with it and to say, I'm not going to know what to say, but I can sit with you and just hold the box of tissues. Absolutely. I think the other thing that's very British, I think you, you may agree with me, is that um, the other flip side to that is people um, are too afraid to say anything, even if they know. And you want to talk about it. You may want to talk about it. But yet they feel uncomfortable talking about it. So, for example, when my husband um, had his diagnosis that he had no sperm, um, someone we know knew about this. And the next time I saw them, a couple of days after, they just sort of said to me, how are you? Have you had a good week? Yeah. And I just thought, are you joking? Oh, well, yeah. feels like it's just ended. Have you had a good week? It's so insensitive. And it is this uncomfortableness about talking about anything deep or anything that could in any way make somebody cry, that people feel then that becomes a taboo topic that you can't go near and you just need to stick on to the trivial stuff of um of everyday life where actually as humans we crave deep connection and mm -hmm. we crave for our stories to be properly heard and addressed and talked about um, but it's only when we all are willing to be vulnerable about our stories that other people then start to go okay then this is safe this is okay for us to go near um, but yeah that's so british <laughs> I know, I know. Um, so I'd love to hear or I'd love for you to tell everyone more about um, the charity that you set up, um, the Mariposa Trust, and also so saying and the books that you've written too. Yeah, so when Bronte was around six months of age, I started to really feel like we needed to do something. So we owned our international global events and marketing and PR company. And I said to Andy, we need to do something now. There was so little support. I mean, our consultant mm -hmm. had told us to just not even reach out to support organizations because he didn't believe they were um, going to be able to offer us what we really needed. And so we were really lacking the support. I mean, thankfully, because my mum's a therapist, we had great family support and our friends were amazing, but we just saw what was missing. And so we decided to launch a not-for-profit division of our company and run international remembrance services. And um, quickly on from that, we decided we couldn't just offer the services, we should offer support too. 
um, the Guardian asked us if they could run an article on us because we were crossing over from the corporate world into the charity sector which they did. Women's Hour asked us if they could come and record our first service and do um, a national broadcast on it. And all of that together made the organisation explode. And within weeks, we were having over 650,000 hits a month on our website. And um, we ended up seeing the fact that we needed to make this a standalone charity separate from the company and the company ended up just servicing the charity ironically. And, um, yeah, that's how the charity was born. And now the support reaches, as I said, over 50,000 people a week. We've got many different divisions. Saying is the primary support division for anybody who's gone through baby loss. And through that division, we do the services of remembrance. We do international befriending of people. And we also do a lot of campaigning work. We supply the NHS and hospitals around the world with leaflets to give to anybody who has gone through loss. Um, Then we've got other divisions such as Growing You, which is our support division to journey with people through subsequent pregnancy after loss, which as we've discussed is terrifying. And then we've got many other divisions, Waiting For You, Holding Hope, um, So Cherished, Loving Every Tear, all divisions that offer different support through fertility, adoption, through finding out something is wrong with your baby and they've got either a condition or you know your baby won't survive at birth. So we try to offer everything as an organisation that anyone will need. And that includes offering support to friends and family as well who are feeling the grief themselves but also want to know how to support their family and friends well Mm -hmm. Um, so I think we offer everything anybody may need and saying goodbye supports people from any type of baby loss right the way up to four years of age Um, yeah so that's the organization in a nutshell and people can find us on Facebook at saying goodbye UK and connect with me on Instagram at Zoe Adele, where I also post daily quotes and support for anybody journeying through grief and loss. What an amazing resource. Um, do you also help people connect with other people who might be experiencing the same thing? Well, that's kind of done through our befriending where people are connected with somebody who can just support them through it. So we don't connect people who are all journeying who aren't trained because that just wouldn't be healthy and wouldn't be us looking after the people reaching out for support. Um, But we connect people with befrienders who will know what you're feeling and experiencing who can journey it with you, yeah. Because I guess to your point, family are amazing and family can be so supportive as can friends but if they haven't experienced what you're going through it can it can be challenging for them to fully understand as much as they want to what it actually feels like and the mood changes you might experience and the the waves of grief um so yeah it 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 sounds like a really really powerful um and supportive resource to all those people that you mentioned who are going through different kinds of loss absolutely it's so so necessary um 
And as well, through being the CEO of the Maripaisa Trust, I was actually then asked by government, by the health secretary, if I would co-chair the national review into how care and support is provided. Um, so I report to Matthew Hancock, the health secretary previously it was to Jeremy Hunt and mm -hmm. we're co-chairing a review into how all support is offered through the NHS and beyond to try and change how support is offered within the UK and within every hospital and GP surgery and beyond just because the government are really committed into bettering the care that is offered to people who are going through loss and um, people often think this is something that a very small group of people actually experience but there's over 254,000 baby losses every year wow. just in the UK in America wow. over a million and that equates to 700 people will lose a baby in the UK today and so Gosh. this is a this is a huge issue and something that so many people are affected by and touched by because it's not just the couple, it's the grandparents, it's aunts and uncles and the extended family. So this is why it's an epidemic and we need to actually be supporting people at every level because a lot of the losses we can't actually prevent. But what we can do is better the support that's offered. So a lot of the trauma surrounding the loss can be lessened. Yes, of course. And it's really great to hear that the NHS are fully behind this and, you know, make, making positive steps to, um, you know, nationwide support people the best that they can with, with your help. Absolutely. And that's really essential that the government is so committed to this and, and beyond government within the Department of Health and the NHS, because we do need a lot of changes to be made. A lot of people are really traumatised by the, the poor care and insignificant care that they are offered. And we know that if that support is offered right at the early stages, it can transform someone's walk through it. PTSD is really common after going through baby loss and so much of that is caused because of the, the poor treatment or lack of care that's offered. And so if we can change that nationally, we will be helping so many people. And I guess because of your personal experiences with it, you know exactly what you would have wished that you'd had support-wise at that time too, to have helped Absolutely. you with the grieving process. Absolutely. And then because of the volume of people we support as an organisation, we're hearing thousands of stories from people every single day about their oh. care, or the lack of care. So the amount of um, horror stories we hear is huge. But we also hear a lot of amazing stories where people have really great, compassionate, empathetic care and what a difference that has made to them in their journey. And so we know what a difference a caring hand can make at that hour of need. So we just need to meet, make sure that everybody who encounters loss receives the first class support that they really deserve. Yeah, amazing. And um, what do you cover in your book, Saying Goodbye and the Baby Loss Guide? Yeah, so I've got three books. Um, my first book is called Saying Goodbye, as you said. And, um, and that's the first half of that is basically our story, our journey through setting up the charity. And then there's 90 days of support to walk people through the grief. And that's very much aimed at miscarriage and stillbirth. 
Um, my second book, which is called The Baby Loss Guide, that contains so many different chapters on varying subjects. So it covers all different types of loss. And then it has lots of different people's personal experiences and their stories, whether that be through cop death or termination because of something being wrong with the baby or miscarriage or stillbirth or loss due to illness. It covers every type of loss, basically, and has those personal stories alongside it. And then it's got chapters on how to support people well, how to navigate social media after loss, how to return to work and society, how to refine your joy and happiness after going through loss. And then it's got 60 days of support to help people deal with their grief, to process their grief. And, um, and also it's full of quotes and support as well. And that's also available as an audio book as well. Um, then my third book, which came out in November, that's called Beyond Goodbye. And that's a general grief book. So for anybody who's gone through any type of loss, whether it be losing a parent or a grandparent or a partner or a sibling, it also covers child loss, but that's just one of the areas that's covered rather than rather than it being a specialist um, baby and child loss book I'd always advise people who are wanting that to go for the baby loss guide but it does cover child loss in beyond goodbye as well and then it has 60 days of support again like the baby loss guide does to help people journey through grief and process that as well as chapters on how to support people well and how to encourage them um, to find joy again and to help walk with people as they try to re-enter life after losing somebody they love. Would you, um, obviously, um, I would recommend people to um, take a look and check out those books. Um, but just uh, to finish, are there any um, suggestions you give or coping strategies for anyone who's faced or facing loss? Um, what, every kind of loss that we've discussed, any, any loss, um, and also any positive, any ways to remain positive throughout such heartbreak? Yeah, well, I think my best tips would always be to keep talking where you naturally will want to just almost retreat into your own world because the pain and loss is so overwhelming and because many of us don't have the language to even communicate this depth of pain and when you don't know how to communicate it it's much easier to stay silent but I'd always encourage people to keep trying to talk because that's how the brain processes trauma and processes grief and that's one of the best ways to start to heal is by keeping on sharing keeping on talking and um and that's where it can be really helpful to reach out to a charity because it can feel like you don't want to keep telling the same things to your friends and family. Mm -hmm. But as a charity, we know the fact that you need to keep repeating your story over and over again, and we'll never get tired of hearing it. And so keep talking, keep communicating, however much you naturally want to shy away from it and um, work through um, guides like in my books because all of them every single day I offer you a practical task to help process the grief and pain and that can really help you journey through those layers of grief because grieving is a lifetime thing it's not something yeah. you're ever going to be done doing no. um, and, and things such as 
um, life feeling out of control, whether that be through facing a pandemic or the loss of a job or, or any of those things can bring up fresh layers of grief. And so that's why it's something you will journey forever. So never be afraid to keep talking and to keep processing that pain and reach out for help if you need it don't grieve in silence um, because there's people who will be able to walk this path with you and you don't need to feel alone in doing it because support is available Mm -hmm. that's invaluable advice thank you so much Um, so my fourth book actually comes out this November and it's called pregnancy after loss and this is the book that I desperately needed when I was pregnant and terrified. And when I was asked to write it, I thought I was going to be basically writing a pregnancy manual. And when I sat down and started the task of writing it, I really realized, actually, that's not what we need. There's enough pregnancy manuals out there. What I need yeah. to write is a book that is a guide to facing fear and to journeying through worry and to navigating nine months of pregnancy when you're terrified. And that applies to whether somebody has gone through loss or not. It might be just the fact that they know somebody who's gone through loss, so they're terrified, or they have um, finally conceived after years of having fertility treatment. And Mm. so they're really aware of how... um, you can't take pregnancy for granted. And so that adds a whole layer of fear into it. And so that's what my next book is. It's a, um, a guide to journeying through nine months of pregnancy when you're scared, when you're uncertain, and whether you're um, terrified of loss or you're just terrified of what tomorrow might bring because you daily battle with worry and fear. It's a guide to helping you navigate that and it's full of tools and exercises and um, and daily support for the 40 weeks of pregnancy and um, to help you navigate it and to come out the other side um, as well and as positive as possible. Um, that's my aim and that comes out in November which I'm really excited about. That sounds absolutely amazing and I'm, I'm um, will definitely definitely be reading that and sharing that so thank you Zoe for telling us more about it. I really appreciate your time today um, and everything that we've discussed and thank you for joining the podcast. Thank you for inviting me. 